Welcome to the latest episode of the In Conversation with the Clinical Medicine podcast. I'm Elena Belafante, Deputy Editor at the Clinical Medicine, part of the Lancet Discovery Science. Each month we are interviewing an author of a paper, or papers in this case, published in our journal, giving them the opportunity to provide a deeper discussion of their research. We are joined today by Gary Darmstadt, one of the authors of our series on preterm and low birth weight infants. In this series, the authors provide detailed on 25 recommendations and research questions that need to be prioritized to improve care for preterm infants. Dr. Darmstadt is Professor of Neonatal and Developmental Medicine in the Department of Pediatrics at Stanford University School of Medicine, but I'll let Gary introduce himself. Hello, Gary, and thank you for speaking to us today. Hi, thank you very much. I'm Gary Darmstadt. I was co-chair of the group that developed the recommendations. It's called the Guideline Development Group. Uh, there were 25 of us on that group, uh, experts from around the world in, in various disciplines related to care of the preterm infant. Uh, we also were supported by a secretariat uh, at WHO within the Maternal, Newborn, Child, Adolescent Health and Aging uh, group. Uh, so I've, I've been involved in, in maternal and child health, uh, public health research globally my entire career. I focused a lot on newborn health. That's really been at the core of, of what I've done. So I was uh, really honored to be able to co-chair this group along with Vinod Paul from India. That's brilliant. Thank you. Um, so speaking of the series, can you provide some context about why it was necessary for WHO to convene this group at uh, this time to examine the care of preterm and low birth weight infants? If I'm correct, uh, the last recommendation were published in 2015. That, that's right. Um, death among babies born preterm is the number one cause of death in children before their fifth birthday. Uh, and progress in addressing uh, these deaths is, is really uh, quite slow compared to many other conditions. And, and so we really need to shine a spotlight on, on the need for interventions to address the care of preterm infants. Uh, as you noted, it's been a number of years, eight years, since uh, the previous publication on recommendations for care of the preterm infant came out. Uh, and there is a lot of new research that has been uh, conducted in that interim period, a lot of new evidence. Uh, and we felt that it was really uh, a opportune time to summarize that new evidence and, and review all the old recommendations related to preterm infants and propose some new ones as well based on the new evidence. Thank you. It's reassuring that so much uh, new findings were published in the meantime. So there was no need to um, draft new recommendation. So what are the key findings or the key recommendation that emerged from the development group? As you noted, we had uh, 25 recommendations and one good practice recommendation. There were 11 new ones. And I'll highlight three categories very briefly uh, that I think are particularly important. Uh, one is around kangaroo mother care. Uh, previously, the recommendation was for uh, kangaroo mother care for infants who were less than 2,000 grams at birth, who were clinically stable and were in a health facility. Those recommendations were expanded based on the new evidence um, to all preterm or low birth weight infants, whether you're born in a health facility or uh, born at home and are, are stable at home and could be initiated on KMC. 
Um, babies, even before they became clinically stable, was recommended that KM KMC be started immediately. Again, if you were born at home and unstable, you should be transferred to a health facility. Um, but it was really recommended um, very broadly, um, even before a baby was was uh, stable, um, not for critically ill infants. You know, for example, a baby who's on a ventilator. Um, that's kind of the next frontier of KMC uh, research, and it, the recommendation didn't extend quite that far. Uh, the second group of recommendations was around family involvement and support. And I think this is really uh, a paradigm shift. Um, WHO came out and with these recommendations are saying that the family, particularly the mother, are at the center of providing care for their baby. They are, part, they are a key part of the care provision team um, around routine care for their infants. They should be supported in providing that role. Now, during COVID, we had many newborn units who excluded the parents from being within that unit uh, based on concern about spread of COVID. Uh, but that suggests that they're not seen as, as a fundamental part of the care team alongside the nurses, doctors, pharmacists, everyone else. And WHO is now saying they are part of the care team. They're central to the core, to the care team. The mother is the primary provider of care for the newborn. So there was a set of recommendations around that. And then there were a series of, of new um, interventions that were recommended. Um, for example, probiotics, emollient therapy, uh, continuous positive airway pressure um, immediately after birth, whether or not the baby has respiratory distress, and caffeine um, for apnea to help babies breathe. Uh, so, so these are the three main categories of, of new interventions. I know it's going to be an unfair question, but what is the expected impact of this recommendation on reducing infant mortality and improving the quality of life for preterm infants and their families too? We think that the impact will, will really be quite enormous um, if these interventions are taken up and scaled up uh, globally. And these really are global recommendations, not just for low middle income countries. The, these recommendations extend to high income countries and to, to new preterm low birth weight infants all over the world. Just to give you an example around the kangaroo mother care recommendation that, that extended it to all preterm low birth weight infants, um, even those who are not yet um, determined to be medically stable. We estimate that there would be 400,000 newborn lives saved every year if these recommendations are implemented at scale. And then we, as I mentioned, we have a number of other um, new interventions um, that will be life-saving. And I would like to further emphasize that particularly around the family involvement and support, we think that this will help to further humanize care because now you've got the mother, you've got the family right there at the bedside, being part of the care, um, being there to comfort um, the newborn. And we know that there are many, many benefits of that. Thank you. Um, so regarding the kangaroo mother care that you mentioned, uh, this was recommended as routine care for preterm and low birth, uh, low birth weight infants. So can you explain a little bit more uh, what is the kangaroo mother care and why it's so important for the for the infants? So kangaroo mother care is where the baby is placed skin to skin on the mother's chest, or it can be another provider. It can be the, the mother's partner. It can be another family member. But 
typically the mother is is the the key provider here holding that baby in prolonged skin to skin contact and with promotion of breastfeeding or or breast milk feeding that that really is the fundamental definition around kangaroo mother care uh it is important for many ways um many reasons um looking first of all at the health benefits reduced mortality improved growth um improved respiratory neurologic stability and maturation, improved um, cognitive function, improved brain maturation, um, later on improved school performance, and even beyond that Im improved um, economic um, productivity potential. So tremendous benefits for the newborn. There are also many benefits for the provider of KMC. We know that for mothers, um, it, it reduces postpartum depression and, and anxiety. It improves their bonding with their newborn. Uh, it even reduces maternal hemorrhage after the delivery for the mother. Many of these benefits also extend to other care providers, even to fathers or other family members. They gain confidence in caring for their newborn. They, they bond. They have, uh, it has long-term relational uh, impact, improved relations between a mother baby, father baby, mother father, you know, mother partner, um, many benefits uh, along those lines. Um, so th those are really what, what the, we, we see as the, the long-term and the short-term benefits of kangaroo mother care, both health-wise and mental health-wise, and even um, extending to economic uh, productivity for countries. Thanks for explaining it. It's really fascinating. I've always been fascinated by kangaroo mother care. So the importance of the contact um the mother uh, is not up for debate here, but you mentioned also that family involvement in routine care um, was also highlighted in recommendation. You kind of already explained a little bit why, but how does involving families in care contribute to better outcomes for, for these infants? Yeah, thank you for, for asking that question. Um, th this was really the first time that this had been comprehensively examined. Um, we did we did reviews of all the evidence for really all of these interventions, and it was the first time that, that family involvement and support had really been summarized. And what we found were a number of health benefits for the preterm infant, first off. Um, for example, we found that, that the number of complications of prematurity were lessened um, retinopathy of prematurity, decreased risk for infection, improved growth, improved neurodevelopment, um, decreased length of, of need to stay in the hospital, improved breastfeeding, a number of health outcomes and, and practices that were improved when the family in, is involved in the care of their newborn. We found that parents like this and their anxiety levels, their stress levels, went down, having them there next to their newborn, being aware of what's going on, feeling like they're part of the team, they're providing essential care for their baby is empowering and reduces their stress. It helps prepare them for, for caring for that newborn when they go home. We often find that that environment is bewildering and, and anxiety provoking for parents and families and they're, they're afraid, anxious, and often unprepared to care for the baby when, when it's time to be discharged. 
this helps allay those fears and and truly empower them to be the care providers. Um, they they were, were so in the unit. They're now full time the providers at home. Um, we found evidence that uh, home visits after that time of discharge are, are uh, an important component of this as well. Um, that the family receives a visit from a health a health provider who. Um, in their own environment helps them to adjust and and to be providing that care. I know I, I you know we experienced that as a family ourselves when we, we had our, our first daughter and we had a home visit from a nurse and found that to be extremely um, comforting, helpful with breastfeeding and 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 the evidence really bears that out. So some recommendation seems for non-expert like me easier so to, to follow, so to say, but others seems built less easy to, to implement. So which are the next steps for the implementation of key the key recommendations? And what are the challenges if you can explain both low and high income countries if there are any differences? Well, the, these recommendations, as I mentioned, uh, and as you just highlighted, really are for preterm infants all over for all different kinds of contexts and situations. And these are global guidelines that then need to be adapted for the specific uh, context in which they're going to be applied. So that's what that's one of the things that that needs to happen. The countries now need to own these recommendations. They need to incorporate them into their policies and into their programs and adapt those recommendations for their context. So that that definitely takes some work. It takes some support from WHO and, and other um, organizations that can help. Um, provide that kind of uh, technical um, support. Uh, WHO will be integrating these recommendations into other what they call derivative tools. For example, there is integrated management of childhood illness, which is guidelines for healthcare workers, particularly community health workers, on how to assess and care for infants, children that they encounter, um, say in communities and primary care settings. So these recommendations will be translated into those kinds of guidelines. Also for, um, there's a pocketbook of hospital care. It will be incorporated into those guidelines. Care for the small and sick newborn that WHO and UNICEF is leading. Again, these recommendations will be incorporated into those. So there's a lot of these tools that now need to be adapted and, and to take on these new recommendations. One of the most important things that needs to happen is that health systems themselves need to make adjustments to accommodate the, the new potential that these interventions provide. Uh, around kangaroo mother care, for example, you know, we have learned through implementation research that, that across all the building blocks of the health system, we need to have adaptations and adjustments to be able to accommodate keeping the mother and the newborn together in order to provide skin-to-skin um, -skin care as part of kangaroo mother care, the mother and the baby need to be physically together. They cannot be separated, but yet our systems often are designed to separate them. Uh, we have separate providers, we have separate locations, we have separate guidelines. And so there's a lot of thinking and mindset change and adjustment in policies and financing in health infrastructure in um, supply chain. I mean, there, there are a number of considerations there that now need to be um, taken on to ensure that the mother and baby are, are not separated, that they're kept together at all times after the birth. 
hopefully this would be implemented soon and prioritized yes. at least. Yeah. Um, so moving on and um, regarding the second paper of the series, the one on research priorities, um, could you tell us which were the key factors and considerations that the experts took in account when uh, generating research questions for care of pre-tabney infants? Yes, th this was really an exciting opportunity for us because as we went through each and developed each of the recommendation, we, we had a tremendous amount of new evidence to look at. But as we reviewed that evidence, we also were able to identify gaps that existed and, and key research questions that emerged from, from that analysis. And, and some of the things that we were considering as we developed those research priorities were, were things like, um, is this, if we answer this, this research question, is it going to make a direct contribution to improve care for preterm low birth weight infants? Is it likely to result in significant improvements in health, neurodevelopment, even economic potential of nations, as we talked about um, for KMC? Is it something that we can answer? Is it doable research? Is it going to, to fill an important knowledge gap? Um, once we answer this question, is the intervention going to be feasible to implement? And it, it's got to be implemented to make a difference. And is it likely to promote equity? Uh, equity was something that ran through all of our of our uh, discussions. And then finally, the the kind of the the summative question is: if we answer this question, is it likely to improve further WHO recommendations for the care of preterm or low birth weight infants? So th those are really the main considerations that we made. Thank you for explaining it. Um, and finally, if you had to choose when, uh, which one of these research questions uh, would you prioritize and why? Boy, that's, uh, that's a hard one. I'm not sure I'm going to give you just one. I, I think okay. I'm going to um, use my prerogative here and, and maybe name a couple, um, maybe three. Um, I've mentioned the family involvement and support is really being a paradigm shift in in care around preterm infants. And uh, what we really need to learn now is how to operationalize that. But what does that actually mean? How do we uh, improve family involvement and support? What are the means by which that would occur? Are they educational? Are there digital tools? There's a number of questions there. So that I would really highlight as a, as a key research need now. Um, around kangaroo mother care, as, a, as we've mentioned, we've learned a lot over the last, say, decade, even the last five years. Um, the next frontier around kangaroo mother care is um, what about the critically ill baby? Can you provide kangaroo mother care, say, to a baby who's on a ventilator, who, who has re respiratory um, instability? Uh, and, and so this is one, one of the questions that, that um, will be answered, and there's, there's research underway already to, to try to do that. Um, a third one that I, I personally would highlight um, is around emollient therapy. This is really the first intervention among WHO recommendations that de deals with the skin. And the skin barrier is really a very important organ. It's the largest organ of our body, um, and particularly for a newborn, and uh, plays a very important role in our health and, and in our survival. And so I'm really excited to see, um, as a person trained in pediatrics and in dermatology, that we now have a skincare 
uh, recommendation here. Uh, we do have some additional things to learn about how do you improve the skin barrier function to prevent sepsis, to improve growth, and um, to see whether it whether it improves even the mortality of, of preterm infants. Thank you again for explaining this and exciting times ahead. Thank you for this great interview. It has been a pleasure speaking to you. And thanks for giving us uh, your point of view and speak about these two important health policies that were uh, published in our series. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. And thank you all for listening to this episode of In Conversation with Clinical Medicine. You can subscribe to our channel on your usual podcast platform and read the series in our pages, which are freely available, and I highly recommend them. Thank you.